Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. Today, we welcome Sonny Han, CEO and founder of Fulcrum, uh, which offers better technology for a new generation of production. The Fulcrum Cloud provides real-time insights, live production tracking, design and engineering instruction, purchasing tools, and data security to help manufacturing businesses achieve new levels of productivity and efficiency. Things near and dear to all of our hearts, all of our listeners from this podcast. Considering how tumultuous 2020 was and how unpredictable 2021 still is, industrial business leaders need all of the reliability they can get to drive new business in today's volatile global economy. Welcome to the show, Sonny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I've had a chance to check out the, the platform and what you guys have been working on. And it looks amazing to help people get on track and stay on track with their business from so many different dimensions. But it's always interesting to hear from founders and folks that started businesses. What, was, uh, what drove you? What was that moment? And what was the problem that you solved that said, geez, I need to step out and go start this company to solve this problem um, at scale? Yeah, un unlike a lot of people that you probably talked to, I did not get into manufacturing on purpose. It was certainly uh, something that I stumbled into just accidentally, but kind of fell in love with the concept of taking a raw material and making it more useful by adding craft and knowledge as well as energy to it, right? Or whatever tools that you're using. And through that process, I took my computer science and um, you know technology background and applied it to make reports on top of other systems like Jobboss or E2 or whatever, or Epicor or whatever system that, that these companies were using. And over and over again, I was being asked to solve the same problems. How do we schedule better? How do we see data faster? How do we do things better? How do we get people to want to use the system? How do we get reporting better, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, it just became apparent that a lot of the technologies that are being used were engineered in the 1980s, 1990s, and it was the best technology at the time. But more and more, I saw this trend of people realizing and, and understanding that the tools that we're using personally, their email, their Instagram, their social media, whatever it may be, those tools were becoming easier to use, uh, didn't require any training, and was able to give them insights about their financials through Mint live, and able to give their position in GPS on Google Maps live. And this concept of making decisions with live information, I think, is finally something that people in general feel is possible. And I just didn't see anybody out in the marketplace doing this. I, I think I had the idea to start Fulcrum even three years before I actually started it. And after waiting around for a while, just decided to tackle it myself. And I'm, I'm glad that I did. So That's really cool. And it, as you were looking at it, you rattled them off pretty quickly for us. So I was trying to collect those while you went through them. But the, the typical problems that you hear from, from folks that are either using your platform, considering using your platform, or, <laughs> hey, maybe we'll use your platform later, but still suffering through those same problems. What are the biggies right now that you're seeing people trying to tackle? I think a lot of it is just intuitive understanding that it can be better than what they're using right now. And it's faster information, um, getting an understanding of what's happening on the shop floor now instead of when the mistake has already happened or three or four weeks after that or whatever it may be. I think 40 years ago, it was very okay to wait two months to have a P&L ready to see what was going on and dig in from there. 
20 years ago, you wanted to have a file that had a bunch of information in that you could run some reports on with, you know, manually calculating it. Five years ago, you wanted those reports to be as automated as possible. And now when going into the future, you're going to want to know it as it's happening. So that trend has been going on for a long time. And and technologies allowed us to do that in a lot of different places. This manufacturing is no different. I think every other problem that's out there is, is fairly common and very, fairly endemic. It's harder to hire people. It's harder to get younger folks to be excited about using um, you know, whatever software and tools that are available, let alone work at those institutions. It's um, the order quantities that are being ordered are less and they're being ordered more frequently. There's more blanket orders, the variability, the power that some of these larger customers have on changing those blanket order releases or uh, how often they need it or how quickly they need it. The lead time accuracy, you can't produce it early, you can't produce it late, you have to hit right on target. I think the entire industry is moving towards a direction that the majority of the primary fabricators we work with, the people that are making the actual components that go into these things, the tools that those people have are just not keeping up with the innovations that are happening at the big manufacturers that have hundreds or thousands of MBAs from great schools working on uh, whatever tools and spreadsheets they have driving these innovations. I think a lot of the, the customers we work with, they're the ones that, that, that bear the brunt of that pressure and they're doing it through brute force and it's just not working. So that's what we, we see and it manifests in, we need to turn a quote around faster. We need to schedule better. We need better throughput. We need to know when to order stuff. We need to know how to order stuff. We need to know how to forecast pricing for materials so that we don't lose money on quotes that we won a year ago because things are so volatile. Um, I think we went through a really long period of consistency in manufacturing that is unfortunately over. And those that are able to handle that chaos better are, are able to come out on top. So those are the problems that we face and how I think most people are facing them these days uh, everywhere. It's interesting with some of the other ones that we're hearing too, and I think they're connected to a lot of what you just uh, shared. Um, is also payment terms stretching farther and farther and farther for folks too. So even more important to make sure that your efficiency is super high on the shop floor and that you know everything that's going on, um, especially if you have to play bank for a, a large prime or someone else to just get the work and keep the work, right? So as far as, you know, you guys have done lots of implementations and you have folks using the software. What's a big win that's come out of one of your customers right now where they had a challenge that they were looking at? Um, and it, it was a huge turnaround after working with Fulcrum and, you know, really taking that digital transformation step that we're seeing a lot of folks get forced into over the last year and a half. Some of them embracing it, some kicking and screaming to a certain degree. Um, but I think it's it's all part of that process. So can you share a big win with us as far as someone taking that leap, impl implementing the software and then starting to get all this information and how it changed their company? Yeah, I think that what automation does for all companies, especially in automating the human mind, not just the CNC machines or robot arms that are out there that are automating the human muscles or, or human bodies, if you will, is that it's actually one of the hardest and most unscalable jobs to do the scheduling, to do the quoting. And it's at a point in time in, in our economic development uh, where things are coming back from overseas and people are getting inundated and there's more work out there and they can get it but they can't schedule it and their capacity feels like they should be able to get more, but they can't. And I think some of the biggest wins are automating processes like scheduling and allowing people to do more 
and spend 15 minutes on it a day instead of six hours and instead of running around seeing what's going on, just knowing what's going on. And for us, the scheduling algorithms, those are cool and fancy and whatever it may be, but the true paradigm shift is instead of writing stuff on paper, putting it into our system directly through a nice, easy, beautiful screen that the end users, the operators, the machinists really like using. And then because we have that, that allows for this live dashboard to exist, live decisions to be made, and scheduling is just much easier, much better for the computer to do because I know what's going on today instead of only knowing what happened two weeks ago. So the customers that are experiencing huge amounts of value are able to do more without hiring more people. They're able to have more revenue without hiring more people and hiring it's it's allowed them to not have to hire more people in some of the most critical, expensive, hard to train and hard to scale up positions exactly that are, that are in their organization. So other big wins are, are just very like COVID related, being able to work remotely for some of the off, uh, office employees because we're a cloud-based system. And then other people too that have started new businesses or have gone into production because they're an e-commerce business and now they're a manufacturer because they couldn't get their stuff from China and they still needed to sell. So they started manufacturing things themselves and didn't know how to build stuff and uh, learned it through us. So we're, we're, we're more than, more than happy to, uh, that, that we've been part of that journey for a lot of our customers too. That's cool. I love what you were talking about with, with scheduling and planning. It's, it's like a beautiful dance and a puzzle mixed together that has no, actual capital T truth solution and never actually has a finish line. It's like the puzzle that forever continues and never actually ends. And it's about how you, you really navigate that to make it the best possible solution you can. So like you mentioned, that was one of the reasons I got into engineering at the beginning. Cause I love those type of puzzles that said, Hey, you never actually get to win, but you can get as close to the finish line as you can. And then you, the next iteration and next iteration as you go forward. Um, so, hey, as we have folks stepping forward into digital transformation, taking these steps to better optimize their efficiencies inside of the plants using platforms like Fulcrum, what do you see as far as ways and with all the volatility going on? And as you mentioned, you know, folks starting to do manufacturing themselves where they used to have other supply chain partners to do it. How are you starting to see uh, folks generate new business and drive business in such, such a volatile economy right now with the reshoring and everything else that's going on too? I think the start of it is that being flexible and accommodating last minute orders or urgencies or having shorter lead times, a very difficult thing for people to do, but that's really the big differentiator, right? Right now, if you can be a new partner, I might not be as picky about exactly auditing your quality system or making sure that you need to do a, you know, a prototyping or a small order. I might jump into a larger order quantity if you can get me some really good parts in a short period of time. We're seeing a lot of that amongst our customers. And I think that's a good way to differentiate if you have the luxury to do that. But deeper within it, I think a more philosophical answer to that question is recognizing that in these times of volatility, complexity has a cost. And oftentimes we try to solve problems that are really urgent by adding layers of complexity, more process, more steps. But really the answer is the opposite to go simpler, to say no to things that are actually foreign to you, to focus on the fact that there is more volume so we can actually do more that's very similar to each other and be a bit choosier with the things that we're doing. And that massively will improve your throughput more so than whatever you're turning down. So I think in general, adding a dimension of how complex is this gonna make my system? How complex is gonna make my decision processes? That complexity 
to you as a business owner has a lot of cost and that cost is in not being able to handle more revenue. So simplifying things, focusing on things is something we've seen a lot of our customers do really successfully to, to grow in this volatile environment. It's, you touch on a great point in that, you know, taking a look at things and sometimes introducing that complexity while you think it's lowering the cost, it's actually blowing it out at the end of the day. In hidden ways that you can't predict sometimes, right? Right. And it's one of the other things that we've, you know, we think a lot about here too is the change that's going on inside of a lot of the manufacturing plants. So you have, you know, millennial generation on our platform, it's about 40% of user base, you know, and the, the, the remainder, um, you know, the, the rest of the generations there, well, I'll, I'll put myself in that bucket and category. Um, it's interesting uh, inside of manufacturing businesses, it's the same dynamic with what's going on. So when products like yours come into those environments, there's a bit of change management that has to go on with leadership to get adoption going. Um, is there any type of, of game plans and playbooks that you could give to these businesses that are trying to take a look at, at how to navigate that? Um, with bringing in new systems like this that are obviously going to push the business forward. It's going to be helpful. Everyone can see it. But the big fear that they have is the adoption part with the business and the folks that they have internally. So do you have any suggestions for, for our uh, leaders out there on how they could navigate this? Yeah, internally uh, at Fulcrum in our engineering team, we talk a lot about how you can give a bunch of context to a pretty good engineer and they're going to look brilliant. And you could take the smartest engineer in the world and give them no context and they're going to look pretty dumb. And it's very similar to change management, right? Whatever customer implements Fulcrum, they're going to change the way they operate. That's the goal. And so knowing where that change is going to happen and giving the end user, the operators, the sales engineers, the estimators, the finance people, whoever it is, telling them why this change is happening and what's going to change before it happens is the best way to ensure that things are going to get adopted. And for us, our sales process is not about dog and pony showing a demo that fits exactly what our customers want. We're a lot more opinionated about the product. And our goal is to be really prying and very challenging in how deep we dig into your process and who you are as a company, and then showing you very transparently who we are and whether we fit or not, so that even within the sales process, the people we talk to, we insist on talking to as many people as you'll let me. Um, but when that happens, through that process, those end users get the context and it makes it much easier. When people are hidden from us, when we don't meet them until after they've had to use our system, that's when a lot of the problems happen. And we can help provide that context. And if we're all anchored in this is better for every user and better for the entire company, you just get that extra little bit of commitment that allows you to open your mind to changing it as something that you're not comfortable with. And our launch people are really good at helping people with that as well. But fundamentally, it's about providing the context to the end user in a really human and nurturing way. So another component, I think, to what you're talking about here, too, is as you're talking through the change management and getting to have touch touch points with multiple folks inside of the organization it also helps to understand what the culture is inside of that organization for adoption or just, you know, how folks work together at the end of the day. At Thomas, we're big on culture. Um, and, you know, any teams that I've ever been involved with, we have a, you know, one go-to, which is be helpful. You know, I, I believe that things are wrapped up inside of that for accountability and support, whether that's your fellow employees, your colleagues, customers, users, whoever it might be out there at the end of the day. We also know that you have a fairly colorful cultural dynamic on it, a no a-holes policy at Fulcrum. 
Um, love it. Um, if you could talk a little bit about how you've built culture at, at Fulcrum and how you look at it inside of your own business, I think it would help uh, as folks are looking to move through that change management and really figure out who they are right now and who they want to be. Yeah, we did that on purpose because of who we need to be. And I think the most important thing that a leader can do is think about what the problem their business is solving is and what weaknesses that they have in the way that they're trying to solve it. So for us, our biggest weakness is that none of us are manufacturers. We've worked a lot with manufacturing. Uh, our engineers are from uh, a lot of companies that you would know that are, are, are really talented engineers, top 1% engineers. And those are the people that I want to build the next wave of technology for manufacturers to solve this problem of the fact that we don't have primary knowledge with a lot of our employees. Those of us that have been here seven years, Myself, I've worked for over a decade in manufacturing. We need to share a lot of this information. And as we scale, I need the people that I share that information and knowledge with to share with each other. And if you are an a-hole, you're not gonna share as much. And if you come with a perspective that already exists, you're not gonna connect with each other. Internally, we talk about Fulcrum being a cybernetic brain. We've learned a ton about manufacturing, more than most other people that we've ever met, but that knowledge isn't evenly dispersed. And so we need to create this culture where knowledge sharing, working as a team is insanely embedded in every single part of who we are. So that's, I think, the reason why we have that color on, on how we operate. Our system would break down to nothing if we didn't have this shared knowledge base. And I think some of the magic that occurs behind the scenes that make some of our employees look superhuman it's, it's the connection that happens. Hey, have you seen this in a plastic injection molder? Have you seen this in a laser uh, fabricator? Have you seen this in a rubber extruder? And we have such a quick and helpful way that people respond to the minute, to the hour, to the day, certainly not weeks and weeks later. It allows us to feel like each individual has a collective knowledge of all of us, which is a great thing to see. So an offshoot of that, Sonny, that's really interesting um, is the hiring that goes into maintaining that culture um, when folks come in. And I know at Thomas, we have some game plans that we use around, you know, you obviously need to make sure, like you said, the top 1% of engineers that you have on the team, they need to know their stuff. They need to be really tight on that. Um, and there's some pretty easy ways usually to test for that. Um, we, ha we had one that we used to use called the bar test, where if somebody goes out and, and hits the bar and has a drink with you, you tend to see their true self and, and what shines through pretty quickly. Uh, what te techniques do you guys use at, at Fulcrum to really find to make sure that you have the right um, cultural fit to, to keep that, that cybernetic brain going? We try to encourage all of the people that are interviewing to not be outcome dependent. So oftentimes you might see someone that's really impressive that you like a lot as a person and you want to hire them. So you'll maybe slightly change the story of who you are to try to get them to want to work here. For us, we really try to make people understand that being opinionated is important. We are committing the resources to talk to a hundred people before hiring one or two. And to do that, it means that we need to make sure we don't have false positives or false negatives and being really clear, really transparent and telling people all the warts and all the negatives we have and all the chaos we have in certain places and all the good things and, and how we work and how enriching it is. Not everybody wants that. And if you spell it out in a way that's extremely exacting and really, really emphasized, even people that are just trying to get a job will naturally show that they don't feel adhesion to that. And you can just tell. So that's like the first and foremost thing. I think the second thing that's really important too is to make interviews more about the, the candidate interviewing us and asking us questions. And we can always 
filter out what that candidate finds important based on what, what questions they're asking. We, our group interviews are, are much more collaborative. We're, we're doing exercises together instead of just making it adversarial. So whatever we can do to make it collaborative instead of adversarial, we'll see how they work. We'll see what their weaknesses are in communication. And we're okay with certain weaknesses and we're not okay with others. And we try to be as transparent about that as possible too. So it's it sounds like you're going to have uh, some occasions to to use all of these techniques as you guys are on a massive growth curve right now. Um, looks like you're you're looking to bring a, a substantial amount of folks on board. And congratulations to the the business growing as fast as it is and powering up with that many new folks. So um, good luck with that uh, recruiting uh, uh, experience that you're going to have in front of you there to, to staff up the crew. Um, Sonny, hey, as we wrap up today, as a leader of your company, typically. Uh, folks have a, a, a couple of daily habits or things that help keep them on track and help keep them moving forward. Um, could you share with us your, your three things that keep you on track as a leader and keep you getting things done? I, I'll cop to being a shiny thing person, so I need to make sure I keep myself on track with Trello and, and daily exercise. So what are the things that, that keep you going? For me, I think relying on other people to tell me what they think I should do is really important. And it's something that when I was an individual contributor, I didn't do because my boss was telling me what to do or it was very quite evident. Um, it's a muscle that for somebody like myself who for a long time was executing or leading a small team, being a CEO means that I have to make sure that I understand the things that I'm not seeing. And as we grow, the things that I'm not seeing increase significantly, right? Um, so that's number one is just constantly uh, having one-on-ones where I'm actually asking other people, hey, what do you think I should be doing or what problems do you see that I'm not seeing? I think number two is like very rigorously uh, prioritizing and communicating that priority. I think I prioritize pretty well, but I don't always communicate why I'm prioritizing things differently. And there's a lot of people that are asynchronously waiting for my answer and, and not knowing that I'm not going to get to it for quite some time. So for me, just reinforcing to myself that my prioritization needs to be communicated because other people's work is relying on it. And we are one big team. And I think lastly, the biggest thing recently is um, making sure that I'm carving out time for myself to think it's really easy with Zoom meetings and, and not to, to not be able to get some downtime between each meeting uh, and, and to be able to have an entire schedule of back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings. But for me, uh, making sure that I have two hours at least a day to free think and associate and come up with some of those uh, insights that only I can have because I see everything, that's something that I, I really need to make sure that I'm protective of. And I haven't been very protective of in certain periods of time, and those are, are the bad periods. So. Well, it's really hard to, right? Because you feel like you're you, obviously in listening to you speak, you're a servant leader at heart here. So, you know, trying to carve that time out for yourself, I'm sure, is uh, emotionally difficult at times, right? Uh, wanting to continue to give to the team and, and make sure that you're there for everything. But hey, just wrapping up on it, sounds like that focus on communication with the team, whether that's feedback from them or communicating your ideas back to them is a big, important part as well as that personal reflection moment so you can come up with all the cool new stuff that's going to happen at Fulcrum and help drive manufacturing forward into the future and into 2022. Uh, Sonny, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Thomas Industry Update podcast, and we look forward to having you back um, when you're double, triple, quadruple in size. Don't forget about us. We won't. You're an ever-present uh, part of the manufacturing industry. There's no way to forget about you, but thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. To learn more about Fulcrum and Sunny, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast.